This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Hi, this is Bachelor Clues from Game of Roses, of course, and I want to talk about Club Med. Everybody knows Club Med has been the pioneer of the all-inclusive resort since 1950 with almost 70 resorts worldwide, ranging from beachside destinations in the Caribbean and Mexico to exotic locations like the Maldives and Morocco, or even the mountain destinations like Japan and the European Alps. Dine on delicious gourmet cuisine, enjoy more than 20 activities, and make memories with your family. For more information, visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. In manufacturing, you need to automate intelligently to compete effectively. But not all automation solutions are created equally. AGVs and AMRs driven by Bluebotics Ant technology offer robust, accurate performance and native interoperability. Because your material handling can be smarter. Visit antdriven.com. That's antdriven.com to learn more. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. Now, the war in Ukraine has slightly left the front pages and indeed the big TV news for the moment. This is what happens as other stories emerge. However, there is expected to be now what the long-awaited Ukrainian spring offensive, uh, which is expected or hoped to change the war in some way. However, there is also increasing skepticism among the people who are backing Ukraine and Zelensky, the Americans, some of the Europeans, skepticism about how this can end and how long it can be sustained for. And it's a pleasure to welcome to the stand again, Johnny O'Reilly, an Irish filmmaker and journalist. Johnny is in Kiev. Uh, he's making a documentary. He has lived in, in Ukraine for quite some time and also in Russia. Johnny, thank you very much for joining us. As I'm sure you know, because I, I know you came home recently for a little while, the West, both the EU and the US in particular, are skeptical about Zelensky's stated war aims, which is to take back every piece of ground that the Russians, including Crimea uh, and the Donbass, that the Russians have taken over the last uh, decade. And people are beginning to speculate about how this conflict may end. But can I ask you about that, of course, uh, and your feeling about that? First, uh, you're in Kiev. What is the mood of the people there in terms of where this conflict goes next? The mood uh, of local people here has not really changed much in the last eight months since April when they started to push Russia back from their positions. And that is very positive, optimistic, gung-ho, and certainly not in the mood for making any compromises. Um, to, to your first point, there are... Uh, stated goals and there are unstated goals. Of course, Zelensky has to 
proclaim that the stated goal of the of the of the whole war is to recover all of the sovereign territory of Ukraine. Yes, and you know, given that's actually you know still sovereign territory under international law, it's recognised as such. So, of course, that has to be the stated aim. Now, the unstated aim obviously needs to be more realistic, and I believe that the unstated aim is to deliver a political defeat for Putin such that he uh, can no longer wage war. And I would imagine a situation whereby Ukraine does push Russia back to uh, borders that are perhaps similar to pre-February 22, uh, in which case there will be strong voices within Ukraine to continue to to dive into Crimea, where international voices will be, uh, you know, trying to hold things back for fear of triggering, a, you know, a, a very significant um, escalation with Russia, and that's the point at which. Uh, the, the the pressure will be on Putin and as well as Zelensky uh, to the maximum, and uh, that's the point at which uh, the the game enters its kind of end game, and no one knows what's going to happen at that point. No one knows how it's going to evolve, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if you know the the, the Russia sorry if America and Europe hold out for as long as uh, they can perpetrate the, you know, wished for the political defeat for Putin. Yes. Um, and especially if, you know, if the cards are in their hands in terms of the military battlefield and the only card that Putin has is, you know, the threat of nuclear war. Yes. Um, I, I can see Putin, you know, not losing that one because um, those threats, I, I believe, are idle. Yeah, and of course, you know uh, Russia very well, uh, Johnny, and you know uh, better than most, as I'm sure the Western intelligence agencies know, how much pressure Putin is under from people, his own people and people around him. There has been a lot of talk and criticism about his handling of the conflict, hasn't there? There has been, but... The way people, uh, uh, you know, see Russia in the same way that they see their own country, as if, um, well, there's no pressure on Putin at the moment. Therefore, he can withstand a lot of future pressure before he has to fold. But that analysis doesn't really take into account the weakness of an authoritarian system. Yes. Um, and there is one good example in history, and that is the uh, run-up to the Orange Revolution when the pro-Russian Ukrainian president, Kuchma, left and was replaced uh, or, you know, in, in an election that was deemed um, falsified by Yanukovych. Um, within days, the uh, a, a large kind of it was like a mini Maidan revolution, uh, where people came to the streets, and within two weeks, had totally and utterly changed uh, the media landscape and the politics in the country. And that was, um, you know, twenty years, sorry, about fifteen years after the fall of the Soviet Union. And it took everybody by surprise, and it was the speed and swiftness of it that really uh, yes. was was more remarkable. And I think that's what's how if 
and when Putin goes, it's going to be very swift and surprising to many people. Yes. But uh, that's only because people, you know, believe the illusion that Putin has been offering to everyone that his political system is, is very powerful. Yeah. And of course, he is being supported by China, India, Saudis, Iran. There is a large coalition, which is anti-West, that is providing support of one kind or another to Russia right now. How aware of that are Ukrainians and how much does that factor into the way they think about what's coming? Well, I think much of that support is uh, moral in nature. Uh, Iran is the only country that's providing lethal weaponry to Russia. and It's providing uh, the, drones, isn't it? It's drones and uh, armaments and shells and right. w- whatever it can. But, you know, I- Iran is not a, you know... A, no. It's nothing compared to NATO or Russia or China in terms of its ability to change the battlefield dynamics uh, in Ukraine. But... Um, in the end game scenario that I referred to earlier, I, I don't see any of those countries taking a huge risk politically to support Russia because even if Russia falls, collapses, yes, they, they will suffer perhaps some, um, some political damage from that, but, uh, it, it, there's very little that they can bring to that, you know, poker game to really affect the outcome. I mean, the outcome is going to be affected within the Kremlin by Putin's standing at home in that scenario. Um, and it'll be very, very unpredictable. Now, there was a leak of intelligence in the United States by a 21-year-old man who had access to it. And it was embarrassing for everybody because it was secret documents discussions that the Americans had had, the British and the Europeans had had, and also uh, discussions within Ukraine about the problems and what might be to come. Uh, are you aware of that, Johnny? Yeah, I'm aware of the, the, the that leak. And, yeah. uh, and that's what was damaging in some regard, because it gave away the secret or uh, thinking or the sort of the bottom line for many people and many countries? I think it was, well, first of all, any information like that is going to be weaponized by both sides for propaganda reasons. Yes. And certainly, you know, I've had friends of mine contact me and say, is it true that there are eight times the amount of Ukrainians killed as Russians in the war? Um, Now, that's not true, but the reason uh, that information came to them was because Russia had, uh, or some pro-Russian people, assumably, uh, presumably, had uh, altered some of the details in those leaks right. to 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 show that. And uh, while m- many of the major cable networks uh, recognised it as fake and didn't re- report on it, some of the smaller ones did. So that's you know all part of the fog of a hybrid war where yes. information is weaponised and confu- to confuse people. Now, Johnny, the spring offensive that we hear about is going to be launched by Ukrainians. When would you expect it to begin? And what will its objectives be in the short to medium term? Well, here's 
what I've learned about battlefield dynamics uh, in the last year, um, the, the, the major learning has been that there, that armies have a different force positionings depending on when they, wh whether they're offensive or defensive. So for the last few months, all of the you know tens of not hundreds of thousands of Ukrainian troops and all their armory have been in defensive positioning. And now there's a transition towards an offensive positioning. Right. So what you're seeing already on the front line, on this 1,000-kilometer-long front line, is the tables slowly turning. So Ukraine is now on the offensive already in many places across the front line. So you can expect that to increase over time. You, Russia has yet to fully transition to defensive positioning, and there's a lot of uh, arguing amongst Russian military bloggers about whether to do that or not, because some people see that as capitulation, and you know others want Russia to be more um, aggressive. But it, it, it's 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 definitely happening, and it's happening with the help of modern NATO weaponry, which has been delivered yes. to uh, Ukraine over the last year, but really is starting to to speed up delivery. Um, in the last month or so. So my guess is that you're going to have a gradual uh, increase in the offensive capacity and the offense itself uh, over time as the, the weaponry arrives and people get trained up in it, they move it to the front lines. So I don't think it's going to be the case that there's going to be one single breakthrough. Yes. Uh, well, no, actually, sorry, I, I do, but I don't think it's going to be the case that it's, it's specifically planned well in advance. So you're going to have like 10 or 20, let's say, uh, probing attacks. And the results of those attacks will give the military planners um, information as to where to push resources to and of course, part of their whole plan is to have resources uh, be able to maneuver and move very quickly. So uh, the, the expectation is that it will take place in one or two places because Ukraine only has like, three, what it has... Th 300 NATO uh, level tanks, uh, which isn't enough to do, uh, you know, an Operation Barbarossa across the whole of the front line, but it is an, enough to um, uh, have one very strong, one or two yes. or three very strong uh, offenses in, in one area. And the, the area is going to be uh, most likely in the south towards Melitopol or one of the towns or cities near there in an effort to try and split the Russian uh, uh, army in half, basically. Yes, and I mean, the, the Ukrainians have been, it seems, superior on the battlefield in terms of their abilities to think clearly, and also, it seems, in the quality of their soldiers, because many of the Russians are conscripts, some of them in the Wagner group are people let out of prison on the basis that they go to the front and fight, which is hardly the way uh, to conduct a war, at, at least hardly the way to encourage morale, shall we say. Let me ask you about the support for Zelensky. I have a poll in front of me 
that says uh, an opinion poll that he's backed by 64% of Ukrainians and that they support him sticking to his guns and fighting for every last inch of occupied territory and for that territory to be liberated. Is that a, a, what you see uh, in Kyiv? Yeah, very, very much so. He's, he's very well supported here. And that's all due to the successes that he's had diplomatically. Yes, he's been brilliant in that, in convincing the world and engaging with the world. It's been an extraordinary example of statesmanship, really. It's extraordinary. And, and one never w- would have guessed it, you know. I mean, here's a, a man with no experience politically. He wins a uh, an election against uh, an unpopular leader, and uh, his first uh, year in office was marked by you know confusion and desperation in some cases, and very little progress on the key elements of anti-corruption and other things. But turns out that he's the perfect leader for a war. Yes. And uh, he has had huge success in, in pretty much every single item on the agenda. He has uh, won. Like, if you, if, you, if you think back to a year ago, it was all about, we need heavy weaponry. You know? Yes. And then it's like, we need to be in the EU. They've got that. Um, the next, the final piece of the puzzle is uh, F-16 fighter jets. And uh, I think they will get them. Yeah, the Poles have promised them to, uh, some jets. As I understand it, Johnny Poland has sent some jets to Ukraine. Yeah, I, well, they've sent um, MiG-29 jets, which don't have the same radar uh, capability as F-16s do. Um, now, most of the jets are actually engaged in hunting down Shahid drones or missiles, um, they're not in, engaged in, in the kind of dogfights that we might be aware of from, you know, the Second World War. But uh, they're an extremely effective anti-missile system. And uh, the radars from the F-16 are, are much more, are, are much better than the MiGs. So that's where they uh, bring uh, extra value to the battlefield. What about Ukrainian losses, Johnny? The scale of them, how do Ukrainian people accept the level of death and indeed of injury of their soldiers? It is said that the Russians have fared very, very badly, but there has been support for them at home because they've been told by their state media, which is heavily controlled and censored, that they're fighting the Nazis and that it's like Stalingrad in the Second World War. Well, it's very interesting because uh, those leaked Pentagon papers suggested that uh, the Americans really believe that there are twice as many Russian deaths as Ukrainian, Yes, uh, not three or four times as many, which is the number that's generally bandied about in in the press. But um, that sounds realistic. Um, the, The interesting thing about it all is you see a lot of images and a lot of footage of uh, very you know unfortunate and malnourished practically russian soldiers yes uh, and you get the feeling that they're you know treated like cannon fodder and all all of that kind of imagery that's reinforced by um, western press by ukrainian propaganda by everything 
when you look at the Russian telegram channels, the Russian news, it's a mirror image of that, but all the soldiers are Ukrainian. Yeah. Right? So I'm here in the city uh, in in Kiev. Been here for most of the last year, and um, I know very few people who have died. I know very few. Um, now, I, that's just this is all kind of anecdotal. Like I know there are hundreds, if not a couple of thousands, of soldiers, a handful of whom have died, um, and you can kind of understand why in Russia. They still, uh, especially in the big cities, are um, living quite normally because the f- despite the actual figures as they appear on paper, huge, but uh, people's lives, most people's lives, the vast majority of people's lives, are, have not been affected in terms of deaths or injured injuries to people who they know, you know? Yes. So... Um, it certainly seems true to me that um, the, the the numbers are terrible. They're off the charts, but it, people are not feeling it in the way that you might imagine, because of the statistics. The population so big compared to the deaths, you know, yes. it's still not um, it's still not having the impact. The the, the impact obviously is more the, uh, the, the 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 feelings, the emotions that are transmitted by the images and the facts. But not so much the actual deaths to people who, who, who are, you know, family, friends and neighbors and everything. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, my name is Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic, and I'm excited to talk to you about Club Med. Club Med operates beach and mountain resorts and is the best all-inclusive getaway for families. They have Club Med Punta Cana, their flagship family resort, and many other options in Mexico, the Caribbean, and around the world. Club Med are the pioneers of the all-inclusive concept, which is the best way to vacation. Great for families, groups, or even solo travelers looking for land and water sports, delicious food and a place to make unforgettable memories. Visit clubmed.us, call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. We've heard a lot about a place called Bakhmut, where for months now it appears the Russians and the Ukrainians are fighting over what is, I think, a town 
rather than a city, but you, you can correct me on that, uh, Johnny. It, it seems to be a kind of almost a psychological warfare. If we hold or lose back mud, uh, it means more than back mud is intrinsically worth. Can you explain that to us? Well, uh, Bakhmut uh, is referred to as a city here mostly because there is no distinction in the Ukrainian or Russian languages between town and city. Right. Um, the Bakhmut is a city of uh, 70,000 people or a town of 70,000 people. Most and of whom it, have left, haven't they? <laughs> most of whom have left, yeah. Um, but there are still many people trapped there in basements, most of them uh, elderly people who couldn't leave or refused to leave. Yes. Um, and the city has become the, the crucible of the whole war for the last eight months. For what reason, Johnny? Uh, well, w- one is, it, it. look, it has some strategic value in terms of, you know, one of the primary goals of uh, Russia is to uh, retake or to take, sorry, um, the the Donbass region, the two yes. pro-Russian regions in the east of the country. And Bakhmut is an important city uh, that leads to two other main cities in right. the uh, in the Donetsk region called um, Kramatorsk and uh, well, Severodonetsk, they've already taken. So, Bakhmut is just, is, is one of those cities that they've always wanted to take. Um, but Ukraine decided to funnel a lot of resources to that city in the hope that it would be met by increased forces in, uh, Ukraine, on the Russian side. And I, I, I think they've um, calculated that given that there are a lot of hills behind them, given that there are a lot of roads into the city, that it's a good city to actually stage this kind of attritional war and to run Russian forces down, yes. knowing that Russia needs this city in order to get to the more strategically important city of Kramatorsk. So it's become... Um, uh, symbolically important given the amount of people who've died there, uh, even though it's strategically it, it won't have a big impact on the rest of the war if or when, some people say, Russia takes it. Now, there are a couple of things that are ominous for the Ukrainian people and Zelensky's effort. One is there are divisions in Europe. Say, Emmanuel Macron, the French president, went to Beijing recently talking, you know, about we must maintain a relationship with China and we must get China to be an honest broker in this and to stop Putin. The other reluctant warrior, as it were, is Olaf Scholz, the German chancellor, although the EU itself, uh, Ursula von der Leyen, the president of the European Union, is fully behind. She's, uh, she expresses full support uh, for Ukraine. How uh, troubling is it, or is it an issue at all, for the U- people of Ukraine, for Zelensky, and for you, as and uh, us, those of us who support Ukraine, how troubling is it that support is fracturing at this point, and may fracture more after a long and attritional winter? 
I don't think it's troubling yet, and I, and I don't think it's even fracturing yet. You know, Macron has stated that uh, he wants uh, a clear victory for Ukraine, but he needs to hedge his bets in case it doesn't happen. Yeah. So, or, you know, the battlefield dynamics will decide all of that. Yes, if Ukraine's counteroffensive is not effective, then uh, Macron and Schultz will be one of the first to to call for an armistice. But we're not at that point yet. So uh, all the cards are uh, with the military leaders of Ukraine, and uh, the you know their 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 chances in this upcoming uh, counteroffensive. So really, it comes all down to the next few months and the success on, on the battlefield. If they are successful, then that momentum will carry the French and the German along. But uh, if it's not, then you know they 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 have hedged their bets already. So sure, they will be uh, kind of leading the charge to to uh, end the war with um, a compromise perhaps that will be un, unpalatable to Ukraine. But um, er, everything depends on what happens at this counteroffensive. Yeah, just final thought, uh, Johnny. I mean, many of us think that it's unthinkable after the war crimes committed, not least of them, taking Ukrainian children and uh, dispersing them all over Russia and and men and adults as well, the children in particular, and the war crimes, the rapes and all of that, the the murder of civilians, the bombardment of innocent people, that Putin should survive and still be in the Kremlin and still, as you're seeing this month, hold the presidency of the United Nations for this month with Lavrov proclaiming and lying and all of that. Many people think that's the survival of Putin's Russia is unthinkable, but many at the same time in the political sphere are quite prepared to contemplate negotiations. What do the Ukraine people think about the idea of a negotiated peace after all of this? That'll be very, very difficult for Ukraine, yeah. and it, it could even split the army. I mean, it, it could be very difficult for Ukraine to accept a negotiated peace with Putin. Yes. In fact, I don't, I, do, I don't see Zelensky doing it for years, right? You know, uh, like if the counteroffensive is just marginally effective this summer. Um, and the war of attrition continues over the winter. Um, I don't see, you know, any fast track towards peace. Unfortunately, I see a lot of uh, political upheaval uh, in Ukraine as well as Russia and elsewhere, and just the the the, the story getting thicker and, and more difficult for everyone. So. Um, it's very hard to, to predict what, what might come of that, but I don't see any, you know, very quick peace action, say, next spring. You know, I think... Yes, I understand. Yeah, it could be a long war, Jim. It could be a long war. Yeah, that's more likely that it'll be a long war and, uh, you know, Western leaders will continue to hedge their bets without taking any big risks one way or the other. 
Okay, Johnny O'Reilly in Kiev. We're very, very grateful to you. Johnny is a filmmaker and a journalist. He's making a documentary about this conflict. And uh, we wish you well, Johnny, and stay safe. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks to Johnny, all of you, for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Hi, I'm Dori Shafrir. And I'm Kate Spencer. And we are the hosts of Forever 35. And today we're talking about Club Med, the best all-inclusive getaway for families. Today, Club Med has nearly 70 resorts worldwide, from beachside resorts in the Caribbean and Mexico, to magical locations in the Maldives and Morocco, to ski resorts in the mountains from Canada to the Alps. Between their all-inclusive family programming, wellness offerings, land and water sports, and their French heritage-inspired food and drink offerings, Club Med is the best way to elevate your family getaway, no matter which location you're at. To learn more, visit clubmed.us. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.